0: Hey, well welcome to Grace Church Online. Glad you guys are with us week after Easter. Uh, if you're kind of newer to joining us, welcome. Uh, and if you've been kind of joining us in this fashion for a while, uh, glad that you're back with us. Just talking to a good friend uh, from out of state in New York City uh, just last night. Hello to you guys, you guys tuning in. Glad that you guys are on here. Uh, as, as we uh, kind of jump in today, um, I don't know if you feel this very often, but everybody kind of knows that feeling when something big is over right? It's the week after Easter and we all can kind of have that feeling of something you're looking forward to when it's over, right? It's the, it's the 26th of December, right? When like all the hype, the whole Christmas season, when it's over, right? And there's just that feeling of kind of like, it's almost kind of blah, almost kind of like, what do we do next, right? It's when you're cleaning up after the party. I remember, I'm a kid, like I hate, I hated when things were over. I still, I hate when things end, even if they're not cool things. I'm just like, man, is it over? That boring thing we were doing? Like I was a kid, like When summer would start, it'd be like June 4th. I'm like, man, summer's just gonna go so quick. My friends are like, just chill, man, enjoy it, right? I remember in seventh grade, uh, Lord of the Rings had come out and I was a big Lord of the Rings fan. And so the last installment came out when I was in seventh grade and my my dad called me off school, or like we went to see the movie. I got out of school early to go see the movie, right? So I'm sitting there watching Lord of the Rings and I'm so excited, this movie's so awesome. And the whole time I'm like, there's three hours left. Oh, there's only two hours left. There's an hour, only an hour left. Only ten minutes left. I'm like counting down because I just don't want this movie to be over, right? You know, I'm not not very fun at parties, right? But sometimes we get this we get this feeling of when something's over because we can sometimes confuse endings with beginnings, right? There's an old '90s uh, song that says every new beginning comes from some other beginning's end. And so we've been walking through the series uh, all through the book of Matthew for the last couple months, looking at the kingdom of God. And it kind of culminated last week at Easter, right? That Jesus is crucified, that he dies, that he rose again, conquered the grave. Hallelujah, right? And he's risen and he appears to his disciples. And you're kind of like, so what do we do next? What kind of happens now, right? Like what, what, what is the next step of this whole thing? Because that chapter seems like it's ending but what's the new beginning? What happens now? And as we read the story of Jesus, we see that his death and his resurrection were just the beginning of him ushering in his kingdom work here on earth. It was just the beginning. And so we, as you can see, are in a we're kicking off a new series for the next seven weeks. We're going to be diving into what Jesus continued to do what he continued to do through his spirit at work within his people after he resurrected. That the book of Acts, it's the Acts of the Apostles is what's traditionally called, is this action-packed sequel uh, to the Gospels. The Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are the stories of Jesus. And and the book of Luke was written by a doctor. He was written by this smart doctor who wrote all these detailed accounts of the book of Luke that he also wrote the book of Acts. And it's kind of the sequel. It's part two to this book, right? It's called the Acts of the Apostles, but it really should be called the Acts of Jesus. It's what Jesus continued to do through his community, right? And so we want to we answer that question as we walk through this. Is how does the king, the resurrected king, how does he show up in the community that he left? What we want to look at is how the church is called to be a right-side-up community in an upside-down world. That's what we've been looking at with Jesus' kingdom, right? We want to look at what what kind of community are we called to be and how that contrasts with the culture that we are living in. There's some things that might, might feel a little bit the same, but there's some things that are starkly different. What does this community of the king look like in our culture? And so as we go through Acts, we aren't going to be extensively preaching through every single passage, so I want to encourage you to do this. Go through the book of Acts the next seven weeks with us. Read it on your own. If you go to our website under the resource pages, there's a reading plan that you can kind of go along with us. I would encourage you, read your Bibles. Read the story. It's kind of this exciting story. See God working in all kinds of ways. It's this description of what kind of started. I'd encourage you to read along with us. As we on the weekends are going to be dropping in and looking at these main passages of what the kingdom looks like, what this kingdom community looks like. Uh, in the New Testament, in the book of Acts. And so today we are going to be kind of jumping and looking at the origin story. We're going to look at the origin story. Everyone loves an origin story. All the movies coming out right now are origin stories of villains and of heroes and all these different things. And origin stories, they provide clarity, color, background, and understanding to the story. And so today what we're simply going to do is we're just going to read our own Bibles, Acts 1 and 2. We're going to look at two big events. We're going to look at two events that kind of kicked off this community, and that kind of gives us the blueprint of what this what this community kind of looks like. These, these events are kind of the sparks, they're the lighting of the match that starts this kingdom community. So we just want to look at them today, make a couple observations as we jump in uh, to this series together. And so we're going to start in the book of Acts chapter 1. So I encourage you, open to the book of Acts chapter 1. If you have your Bibles with you, pause me, go find it, open your phones. We'll throw it up on the screen here as well. But this is Acts chapter 1. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. We'll start in verse 1. It says this, and this is, this is uh, Luke writing. Luke is, like I said, he's a doctor. He's this very intelligent guy who writes very detailed accounts, and Luke says this, in my former book, Theopolis, I wrote to you about all that Jesus began to do and teach. Now, this guy, Theopolis, some people think he was a guy. Some people think he was a group of people. I means the one who loves God, right? So I'm not sure if that was an actual individual or if it's kind of this group of people. But he's writing about what Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up into heaven. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles, he had chosen. After his suffering, that's his death, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days, and spoke to them about what? About the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. Earlier, we're going to look at this. Jesus kind of talks about his disciples. He's talking to his disciples and he says, I'm going to go so that the advocate may come. We'll unpack that. But he's, he's circling back to that. He's like, wait for the gift that my father promised you that I've talked to you about before. Verse 5, he says, For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. These guys didn't exactly know what that was going to mean yet. In verse 6, look at the disciples. They gathered around Jesus and they asked, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Like, these guys still don't get it. Like, Jesus had talked on his parables. He said that he was going to die. They're like, you're not going to die. He's like, I am going to die. And then he dies. And then he resurrects. And, then, you know, there's it's different than what they expected. But the disciples, after being with him for 40 days, are still kind of like, hey, when are we going to go take over? Is that still on the agenda? Right? They're still kind of like, is that now? Should we get our stuff? Like, they're still kind of missing the point, right? And look what Jesus says in verse 7. It is not for you to know the time or the date the Father has set in his own authority. We can get obsessed with that sometimes. Look what he says. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the very ends of the earth. I would encourage you to underline, if you have your Bible, verse 8. That's the outline of the book of Acts is verse 8. Then verse nine he says, "This this this is what happens. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes on a cloud that hid him from their sight." This is this is you want to write this word in your Bible. We don't let's say it all the time. This is the ascension. Jesus ascends. He goes back to the Father. This is what he he kind of told the disciples was going to happen. He was with them for 40 days after he resurrected, and he ascends in verse nine. And the disciples, looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? The same Jesus who has been taken from you in heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go. You can almost see him. They're just seeing Jesus' hand, and they're just standing there like, whoa. Two angels in white. You're like, hey, guys. You're like, what? Like, what are you doing? Right? Like this, this picture that we see. Is one of these events that sparks the growth and the, the beginning of this kingdom community. And what we see in this section that we want to unpack is that Jesus reigns and we respond. I encourage you to write that down. The ascension, Jesus' return shows us that Jesus reigns and we respond. First thing I want to look at is how Jesus reigns. What what the ascension shows us about Jesus' reign. Now, I want to show you this. We, we kind of unpacked this uh, last series for a minute. It's kind of just a visual picture. If it helps you, great. If not, it's two minutes, so don't worry about it. But there's, there's kind of this, this, this idea of, of heaven and earth that we see in Scripture. That earth is kind of human space. It's where humans kind of, uh, kind of live. It's kind of our space. And heaven is God's space where God kind of dwells. And what we see in Genesis 1 in the beginning of the Bible is that heaven and earth overlap, that they are together, that God walked in the garden with Adam and Eve, that heaven and earth are one. But our sin entered the picture, and now heaven and earth are separate, and earth is kind of this upside down world now, right? That sin has kind of turned the world upside down. These things are separate. And really quickly, the only thing, time that we see throughout the Old Testament, throughout the Old the Old Testament, the first kind of half of your Bible, is that we see these spaces overlapping slightly in the temple. Now, the temple is this place where very specifically God has his people build him, this home where he comes and dwells. And it's this this kind of picture where heaven shows up on earth in this small way. Now, kind of stick that in the back of your mind. We're going to circle back to that. But what we see at the ascension, at the the resurrection, is that heaven and earth have begun to come back together. That's what Jesus means when his kingdom is at hand is that heaven and earth have begun to come back together, that the king died in his death, that the king conquered in the resurrection, and the ascension, Jesus' return, shows us that the king reigns. And sometimes this can kind of be an aspect of the scripture that we we kind of miss. We're like, he died, big deal, resurrected, real big deal. He's going to come again one day. That's a huge deal. But this ascension is something that we can miss oftentimes. And the ascension shows us that Jesus is still alive. He didn't disappear. He didn't die again. He didn't fade away into the sunset. You know, there wasn't a, you know, whatever happened to Jesus? What, you know, like you graduate, like whatever happened to those people? That's not the case with Jesus. The ascension shows us that he's still alive, that he is reigning, that he's sitting at the right hand of the Father. A guy named Patrick Schreiner, I'll quote him a couple times today, he, he, he writes a lot about the ascension. It says, the resurrection proclaims that Jesus lives forever, and the ascension proclaims that he reigns forever. That this ascension was almost His coronation, almost a ceremony of him ascending back to the throne and becoming king. But what is powerful about the ascension, what matters, and we'll unpack why this matters, is that the ascension wasn't, this isn't space travel. It's not Jesus going back into space or like, see you later, Jesus, right? He's not like an astronaut. But a New Testament scholar named N.T. Wright says the risen body of Jesus was the first object fully at home in both heaven and earth, that Jesus came, he descended and became a human, took on flesh, lived as a human, walked the earth with us, died as a human, was buried as a human, resurrected in his human body. The disciples touched his hands and his feet. He was a human. 40 days as a human, and he ascends back to the Father as a human. So now Jesus, Jesus kind of fills that heaven and earth space, fully embodied human. That he is the first one to occupy both heaven and earth together. Right? That's where these circles overlap, right? What does this matter? Why, why does this matter? What this shows us is that the ascension shows us that the new creation, what we looked at last week on Easter, that Jesus' resurrection was the first sign of the new creation, of what is to come, what our hope is anchored in, that Jesus is going to make all things new, that his resurrection was the first fruits of that harvest, so to say, right? That what it shows us is that it is an embodied reality, not some amorphous, floaty existence. Sometimes we can, kind of, we can kind of disregard the physical. We'd be like, our souls are just these spiritual things that are going to float off to a distant land someday. But what we see in the last chapter of your Bible is new heavens, new earth. Jesus is going to recreate, make all things new. And his ascension shows that his body, that our bodies are going to be part of this. Patrick Schreiner, he says this, Jesus descends in the flesh and rises in the flesh to redeem the flesh. Temporal, material, and physical dimensions are therefore not discarded in the ascension. They are affirmed. In the Messiah's ascent, flesh is brought up to the spiritual realm where God resides, showing he will forever dwell with humanity. Jesus exalts human essence and abides in perfect fellowship with God himself. I'd pause and sit on that for a moment what this tells us is at the end of the story, it's not us sitting on a cloud eating cotton candy or something, right? But it's a living in new creation in the new garden of Eden that Jesus is going to remake with our resurrected bodies with the good King. Revelation 5, 6 says this, then I saw the lamb, that's Jesus, looking as if he'd been slain, standing at the center of the throne. What we see in Revelation, this picture of kind of the end, the promise of new creation, we see Jesus, the lamb who was slain, standing, right? But he is looking as if he had been slain. As the king who will rule forever, Jesus still bears the scars of his suffering on earth because it shows that he conquered. That the king still bears his scars in eternity and his suffering is proof of his work. Don't think for a second that our earthly suffering that our earthly suffering for the glory of God doesn't have eternal significance. It doesn't just get, ah, ignore that, throw it away, we'll do something different someday in heaven. But our suffering for the glory of God matters in eternity. We see that because our Savior's scars show up in eternity in his body, right? Schreiner says that God descends in order to bring God to humanity, and he ascends to bring humanity to God. We see that Jesus reigns. He said, Jesus reigns, but what we also see in this first part of Acts and this spark that ignites the movement is that he calls us to respond. In Acts 1.8, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea, which is kind of the surrounding kind of landscape in Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Guys, if, if Jesus isn't the king, just, just like, go about your life. Do whatever you're going to do. But if he is the king, we can't think for a second that our call in this existence, in this life, is just to simply have a happy, healthy life. But he calls us to partner with him in this purposeful mission. That I mentioned earlier that Acts 1-8, it's the outline for the rest of the book, right? That it's the outline of what we're going to see Acts unfolding, what it's going to look like. And there's many different things we see in this book, all miracles and healings and all kinds of crazy things, Right? All kinds of these type of things. But this interaction, this this verse shows us what the point is. It shows us what the mission and the point of this book is, is the outgrowth and the spread of the kingdom that Jesus began to bring through his church, through his body spread out. There's the point and the outline of this book. But what is important to take a note at, we're going to unpack this in a couple weeks, is the way in which this happens. The way in which the message of the king goes from Jerusalem out into the ends of the world. The catalyst for all that is persecution. That's how this happens. We're not going to unpack all that today, but it's important to note that this is accomplished through persecution. But even before the disciples, before they moved out, they they needed some direction. So verse 11, we see that this, this angel appears. says, Men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking into the sky? The same Jesus who's been taken will come back. He's like, why are you just standing there? What are you doing, right? We're not just going to stay here. We're going to go when the Spirit comes. This is what we call this kind of gentle kick in the pants from an angel, right? But earlier with his disciples, Jesus speaks about this importance of him leaving. You're like, why did he have to go? Couldn't he just stay and hang out? Like, that's what the disciples asked. Like, are we taking over now? You're bringing your kingdom now. It doesn't make a lot of sense that you're going to leave. And Jesus talked about how he was going to leave a couple chapters earlier in the book of John. But it's important that he leaves so that his spirit would come. John 16, when Jesus is describing what is about what we're about to read, when he's telling them what is going to happen, he says this. John 16, chapter, uh, chapter 16, verse 7. But very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Which probably doesn't make any sense to the disciples. Like, you're the best thing, Jesus. Why can it be good for us that you go away? He says, unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. This has all taken place before Jesus was going to go and die. But when he, that's the spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it, is, because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. It's important to note the Holy Spirit is, is, a, is a person. It's not just some abstract force. That's why Jesus says he will come to you, right? But this next event that we're going to look at is the fulfillment of what Jesus is talking about. When Jesus leaves so that the Spirit may come, he was predicting what is about to happen. So we'll read this together and unpack it. Acts chapter 2, just flip a page. Flip a page. Jesus ascends. They go. They're waiting in this upper room. They kind of pick a new disciples, what we see in the second half of chapter one. Then chapter two, Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost. When the day of Pentecost came, Pentecost was a Jewish holiday. It was a Jewish holiday when people from all over the known world who were Jews from different nations would come back to Jerusalem to celebrate this festival together. That's important. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house that they were sitting in. It's a crazy picture, right? There's about upwards of over a hundred of these guys sitting in this room. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. It's a wild picture. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues, other languages, As the Spirit enabled him. Can you imagine this picture? Jesus descends, he leaves, the disciples are staring, angels show up. They're like, Why are you standing there? And Jesus says, Wait till my Spirit comes. And so they're in this upper room and they're just kind of waiting. What's next? What's this going to be like when the Spirit comes? All of a sudden, the storm happens in this room. They see these things that were like fire appearing over their heads and they start speaking in all kinds of foreign languages. Which has significance when you realize that all these people from different foreign nations were all in Jerusalem. This crazy picture happens, right? Verse 5. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard the sound, the crowd came together in bewilderment because each one of them heard their own language being spoken. Now there wasn't like these little like language apps where you could just pick up like a language in 15 minutes, right? The fact that these Galileans, who a lot of them were just backwoods fishermen, are speaking multiple languages now is quite impressive because you would have had to be pretty educated to know multiple languages, right? Verse 7, utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Aren't these all just like country boys, right? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Then verse 9 says, all these different nations that were gathered... Parthians, Medes, Elmanites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and all parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors of Rome, both Jews, converts to Judaism, Cretans, and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Verse 13 is pretty good, though. Somehow, however, made fun of them and said they just drank too much right? Like this crazy thing happens. They're all filled with amazement. And some are like, so dudes are drunk, right? Some things don't really change too much. But this picture is this powerful picture that we see of the spirit showing up on the scene. This promised spirit that Jesus talked to his disciples. They didn't understand what he was talking about, that I'm going to die and that the spirit's going to come. They're like, "We, we don't understand Jesus. But now it's starting to click. And what we see, what Jesus talks about, what we see happen in Acts 2 is that the Spirit comes so that we can go. The Spirit comes so that we can go. Let's look at the first half of that, that the Spirit comes. This passage is full of beautiful Old Testament imagery, kind of the Hebrew scripture, right? That oftentimes in the Old Testament, God's presence would show up as fire. We see this when when Moses meets God at the burning bush, right? That God's presence shows up in the burning bush as a fire, right? We see as is the Israelites were wandering through the desert, they were led by a, a cloud of smoke during the day and a pillar of fire at night. That God's presence would cover his dwelling place as fire, right? That in the Old Testament, that place we talked about where God's presence would dwell on earth was in this holy set-apart tabernacle, which was kind of this this tent until the temple was built in the city of Jerusalem, right? Numbers 9, it's an Old Testament passage, says on the day... The tabernacle, the tent of the covenant law was set up. Cloud covered it from evening till morning. The cloud above the tabernacle, what looked like fire. That is how it continued to be. The cloud covered it. And at night, it looked like a fire that this symbol of fire that we see in Acts 2, these things that were like tongues of fire appearing over top of them has this Old Testament significance because that flame signifies the presence of God. But God's presence is not now over there in the temple. The presence of God through his Holy Spirit has now descended and is now descended upon the followers of Jesus. We see God's presence appearing over them because now God's presence dwells with them. That Jesus walked with them and his spirit now dwells in them. We talked about this a couple months ago. This is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. That what this means is that the temple, the place where God resides, was over there. It was out there. That is the place where heaven and earth met, was in that temple. But now, because the Holy Spirit has come, we put our faith in Jesus. Our bodies on this earth become temples of the Holy Spirit. That's the significance of this flame. And God's presence takes up residence within our bodies. It's wild. But what does this mean? That God's presence is now with them, that the advocate has come. He's gonna to point to Jesus. He's not gonna speak of his own authority, but he's gonna speak of the authority of what Jesus has come and taught. He was sent by the Father, and the Holy Spirit now walks with them and is in this call to go. 1-8, Acts 1-8, to go, to make disciples, to, to be his witnesses all throughout the ends of the earth. They weren't called to do this alone. It wasn't just to go figure it out. But God's spirit his presence gonna dwell with them as they go years ago my wife and I are coming up on seven years being married and uh, for our wedding a good friend of us uh, they they got us a um they didn't get us a blender but they got us a zip lining tour so we years back we went we drove down to Southern Ohio beautiful fall day and we went on a zip lining tour and as we're sitting in the car we pull up to this place and my wife's like I'm pretty nervous about this whole ordeal and I'm like you know, new husband. I'm like, this is going to be great. Don't worry about it. Just follow my lead. And so we go, we get on this four-wheeler. We go up this mountain and we start zip lining out over all this stuff. And these these things are way up in the t- hundreds of billions of feet in the trees is what it feels like. Like we're way up there and you're ziplining and you're just tied to a string and you got to repel off stuff. And I found out that day that I am horrified of heights. Like, when we got back in the car, she was like, that was great. And I'm like, promise me we'll never do this in our entire lives. Like, it was, it was horrifying. But what was interesting about this whole thing is they don't just say, good luck, zipline, and we'll see you at the end. Don't fall. But the whole time, there were these two guides that led us the whole time. That they kind of were there to, to they were kind of there to show you what to do. They were comforting me. <laughs> that was their goal, was to comfort Aiden so he doesn't die up in the tree. But they led us. They told us what we were supposed to do, how we were supposed to do it. They kind of led us into the truth of ziplining, so to say. In the same sense, the Holy Spirit is our guide as we go throughout the world. It's not We're not doing this by ourselves. But we rely on the power of the Spirit that is at work within us. In that, same, in that same kind of section in John where Jesus tells the disciples that he's got to go so the Spirit could come, in that same kind of area, John 14, Jesus says this, He says, very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the father. I am ascending to the father, but you will do even greater things. You're like, I don't know about you, but I look at my life and I'm like, yeah, it's not, not, not even in the same realm of the greatness of what Jesus has done. Right? Like, what does he mean by that? What is he talking about? We saw that the spirit comes so that we can go right? Jesus goes to the Father. He ascends to the Father, reigns at the right hand of God, all things then placed under the feet of Christ, right? But Jesus says that we're going to do greater things. I think this is what he means. I want to show you guys a map. This is where Jesus's ministry took place. This is kind of the region of where Jesus, Galilee, Cana, Nazareth, uh, Jerusalem, kind of main, the last week of Jesus' life. Like this is kind of he, yeah, kind of the Akron, Canton, Cleveland kind of guy, right? This is the area that he kind of occupied. And then as Jesus ascends, the Spirit comes, and as we through the power of the Spirit, as His people, as His kingdom spreads out from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria, throughout the ends of the earth, this is now where the body of Christ works, is in the whole world. We'll throw up this next picture here. This this is now where jesus where jesus reigns he's gonna do greater things as he ascends jesus physically was limited by the space that he was in as he was in his body but as his spirit empowers his people the body of christ now this is where this is where jesus goes fun fact i googled it there are christians in antarctica go google it back back me up there are christians in antarctica That we see now that these greater things that he, through his spirit, through his body, the, the message and the kingdom of Jesus are now spread out into the world. And this is why it is so important that this event happened during Pentecost. It happened during this festival where Jews from every nation came back to Jerusalem. Verses 5 through 11, we kind of looked at that. And what this shows us is God's heart for the world God's heart for the nations and the way in which he is going to accomplish this. That what we see from the start, from the origin story, is that this kingdom community is this multicultural, multi-ethnic, diverse picture of, of the kingdom. That diversity is not some new social cause of the church. It's not some modern thing, but it's how God chose to start the church. That he said, go wait in Jerusalem until this day where I'm going to bring all the cultures together. In Genesis 11, it's the story of the Tower of Babel, where all the, the kind of people of the earth come together. They come together because they are trying to be God, and they try to make their way to the heavens to be like God, and so God spreads them out and confuses their languages. Genesis 11, go check me on it. But what we see in Acts 2 is that we see that God unites the nations because he is coming to them that he brings the nations together. In Revelation 7, at the end, we see from people, every nation, tribe, and tongue, worshiping and exalting God. My friends, what we see in Acts 2 is that it is short-sighted on both sides of the modern conversation to either ignore the diversity of the kingdom and the necessity of the multicultural na- uh, nature of the kingdom, to ignore that, or the idea that it stems from some modern felt need, right? Right? It has always been God's heart that his kingdom would be multicultural and include all these nations, tribes, and tongues. It's why it goes out to the entire world. We see that this is his heart for his kingdom on earth. So what do these two events mean for us? As we open the book of Acts, we see Jesus ascending as king. We see his spirit coming and descending upon his people What do these two events matter? Why do these matter to us? What does it mean for our kingdom community? This just kind of sounded like a weird, strange church history lesson, right? You guys can write this down. What this tells us, what this spark, what we're gonna unpack for the next seven weeks, what this spark of these events mean is that as followers of Jesus, we don't have to go find a cause. Because we have a mission, the kingdom community of the church is called to be on mission in a world that is looking to attach ourselves to a cause. We oftentimes we see this all the time all throughout history, we see this all t- all throughout Facebook today, right that we can jump on causes and on bag bandwagons and on different platforms because I honestly think that we struggle to believe that this story of Jesus. Has power and is truly the hope of the world today. In a corporate sense, in an individual sense, for ourselves, for kind of our neighbors, our community, we have trouble believing this. We struggle to trust this story in its pure form. So, what ended up happening all throughout history, what happens today is that we meld this message of the king with politics, with different cultural norms, with different modern ideologies. And so this, this message of the king that he gives us gets, gets kind of synced up with all these different causes all throughout history and time in our current day. And they get attached to these causes and not all these things are bad. Like many of these causes have good DNA, good pieces in them, aspects of the scriptures and of the kingdom. But what happens is that we attach ourselves to the cause and we can forget the King. And the reason we do this, the reason we attach ourselves to causes, I think is because of pro- two primary things. Because we're looking for identity and we want to follow an authority. Identity and authority. That in this kingdom community, we are united and centered on our new identity as sons and daughters, as citizens of the kingdom. All throughout the New Testament, the book of Acts is this 30-year this period of the beginning of the church and all the letters we see in the New Testament are found at different spots within that period, more or less. That these, these letters that Paul and the New Testament authors write, oftentimes they're, they're writing reminding them of their identity, reminding them of what Jesus has done for them, who Jesus has made them to be. Because we so quickly can forget because we're searching for our identity. And oftentimes we can find our identity in these causes that we attach ourselves to. That we can find more identity and common ground with those in our ideological camps than in our kingdom community. And what we see by looking at these stories is the significance and the power of the spark that sets our identity, that reminds us of our identity, that reminds us of our mission. The second thing that we attach to is authority. Because we are all looking for someone or something to trust and follow. An authority that we can trust and follow. For some of us, that's ourselves. In our, in our kind of modern context, most of the times our culture tells us that the authority is you. And you need to follow your heart. You need to find your truth because you're the authority. And so with a cause, either we are going to be the authority or whoever is in charge of that cause, whether it's a person or a mob, they become the authority. Because our hearts long for someone to follow. But look at what Jesus says the last section of Matthew. So last series went through Matthew. Look at what Jesus says. This is after Jesus rose, he comes to his disciples. This is before he ascends. He says, All what? Authority in heaven and on earth. Why? Because he conquered the grave. All authority has been given to me. He says, Therefore, because of the authority, I call you to go. This is the mission to make disciples of what? Of all nations. Go and make disciples. That is what we are called to. Do. That's what our mission. What does he say to do? To baptize. What is a, What is baptism? It's an act of identifying with Jesus. Says, go make disciples. Identify them with me, with Christ, with this kingdom. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And what? Teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. We oftentimes because this is called the great omission. We oftentimes forget this part. What did What did Jesus teach? Go back to the Sermon on the Mount. We looked at this through the last conversation. To love your enemies to serve your neighbor, right, to lay your life down for others, to pursue purity, to pursue holiness, all these teachings of Jesus. He says, this this is our mission to go make disciples, baptize, help them identify with this kingdom, teach them what I have taught you. And he says, surely I'm with you to the very end of the age. He's with us through what? That presence of the Spirit with us. Everything Jesus says in Matthew 28, this passage, if you've been around Grace Church for any amount of time, you've heard a billion times This mission that he gives us is so much more robust than the causes that we want to attach our lives to. We don't need a good cause when we have a good king. And the mission of the king is going to lead us to love the downtrodden, the broken, to love the orphan, widow, and foreigner, to stand up for those with no voice, to stand sure in the truth of the scripture and the message of the king, to not compromise what God makes clear. All these things align under our mission. We don't need to reorganize them and find a cause that says it in a different modern way, right? That he is our identity, that he is our authority. We don't need to go find someone else to give us that. What does this ascension and the Holy Spirit coming tell us? tells us that we can keep moving in the mess. Guys, this, what we're going to look at next week is kind of this beautiful picture of how the church starts and kind of the blueprint of it. But what you're going to see through Acts, what you read as you read the New Testament, is that this whole deal is messy. The church has always been a mess, right? That there's legalism, there's sin, there's divisions, there's false teachers, there's disputes. But the spirit that is at work within us, at work in the world, keeps making beauty out of this mess. This is what the spirit has always done. In creation... That the Spirit takes the, the kind of void, formless nature and creates life, right? That the Spirit takes the mess of this world and creates life. That's why your sin, your failures, your story aren't wasted. That's what it means to believe that God is working all things together. This is why the messiness of the church does not negate the mission of the church. Listen, I'm 30 years old. You grow up in church a while and people leave, people are hurt, leaders fall, all this stuff whether it's in our modern day or throughout history, just go look at the Crusades. The church can be a big source of pain in the world. You may be watching this, you may be supremely hurt by the church, hurt by a leader, and that is extremely valid. That is real stuff. Especially in the culture we are in today, whether it's the political left, the political right, I do not care that these things can hijack the message of the church for the sake of our causes, and it can create pain, it can create division, it can distort the message. But listen to me, the fact that those things happen does not negate the beautiful origin and what we are called to. It doesn't negate the beauty of the actual thing. That the Spirit continues to work through the pain and through the messiness and through the confusion. If there's anything that's a a signpost of our world right now, it's the confusion and the mess. Everybody has a different truth. Everybody has a different authority. Those in and outside of the church, it appears like sometimes. But the Spirit continues to move in the mess and point us to the real thing. A couple years ago, I went with my friend, uh, a couple of friends to see a, a movie called The Founder. It was a, it's a story it's the story of McDonald's. We saw it at Tinseltown, which probably wasn't the type of movie you needed to watch at Tinseltown. But we went and watched this movie, and it's interesting. The story of the founder is the story of McDonald's, and it's about these two brothers that start this kind of unique restaurant in San Bernardino, California, and they start this kind of unique restaurant that has great ingredients and they're this friendly place and they do everything. It's like Chick-fil-A basically, but it was the beginning of McDonald's. It's just what Chick-fil-A does now. But they started this this restaurant and it was just this great booming thing in, in the town. They had a couple different restaurants and the story is the story of traveling salesmen who come and, and kind of meets up with them. And he kind of takes this little restaurant and he turns it into what McDonald's is today, right? This big corporate thing. There's a McDonald's in every street corner. Nobody would say that McDonald's is the flagship of quality or that McDonald's is the flagship of cleanliness or any type of thing, right? I personally love McDonald's, so I'm not bashing it. it. just It's now this big corporate thing over the last 50 years, right? It changed. And the story of the movie kind of shows the kind of greedy, slick nature of the salesman and how he kind of worked these guys out of money and how he kind of backstabbed these guys and how these original founders, the McDonald's brothers, kind of ended this whole deal with kind of the shaft, right? Why this guy became a probably billionaire. And it kind of shows you the corruptness and kind of what happened McDonald's and kind of like, ah, that's this crazy story. But what struck me is at the end of this story, these two brothers who started this original restaurant could have made all this money but they kind of lost it all to this guy but what's fascinating is at the end of the story it didn't go on forever but what these guys still have is they still have in all the contracts they kept that original restaurant they kept that original place and did it the original way that they started guys the church is this it's god's bride it's the bride of christ but as a pastor, I'm not unaware that the church can create so much pain. It can be some, become such a convoluted picture, but that doesn't negate, that doesn't change the fact that the real thing is so beautiful, so powerful, that is the hope of the world. It's the way that God has chosen to make his message known to the world. That the Spirit continues to move in the mess. We can keep moving in the mess. And what this ascension and the Spirit descending, what it shows us is that we can rest assured that this event is not some human organized deal, but it was a divinely sparked and divinely sustained. This thing is held together by the goodness and the power of Jesus and His Spirit. Acts 5. As the church is kind of gaining traction, they're getting arrested. They're starting to cause a problem because they're saying that Jesus is Lord, which is a political statement. Caesar isn't Lord. He's not king. Jesus is Lord and king. And this has created all kinds of problems. And there is a Roman leader named Gamal. And these the leaders of the church are in and out of prison. They're like, what do we do with these guys? Acts 5.38 Gamal says this, In the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go. For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it'll fail. A lot of these different kinds of uprisings failed. A lot of Jewish uprisings failed. He's like, if it's of human origin, don't worry about it. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men you will only find yourself fighting against God. If you are watching this, and a follower of Jesus, God did not stop this movement. Or Rome could not stop the movement of God. We are watching this because of the work that they started. Because the Spirit worked in these people, and it went from Jerusalem out to the region of Judea and Samaria, throughout the ends of the earth, to Norton, Barbera, and Akron, New York City, Right? That all through the book of Acts, we are going to continue to follow this kingdom community that was started by the king. And continue to look at the original beautiful blueprint of what kind of community we are called to be in the culture that we find ourselves in. And what that looks like as we continue to follow and trust the king. Let's pray together. God, we are so thankful that you have ascended that, Jesus, that you are the king. Jesus, I pray that just that would continue to take root in our hearts, that you would continue not just to become king of of the world, but king of our own hearts, that we would trust you, that we would build our lives upon your goodness, that we would continue to follow the mission of what you've called us to do, that we can so easily tie ourselves to, to pastors, to political movements, to social causes. We can so easily identify and find the authority of those things. Yet, Jesus, I pray that we would be reminded of the mission that you have called us to. The beautiful life of the Spirit that dwells within us, that calls us to a mission. To make disciples. And Jesus, as we look at Acts, as we look at this mission, I pray that in the midst of all this, that you would help us to taste and see that you are good that you are a good king, that following your way leads to life, leads to rest, leads to peace, leads to hope. And that joy of of what is offered through your kingdom would spill over as we make disciples, as we proclaim the message of the king. Jesus, I pray for for anybody that maybe watch and that just struggles to see the beauty of the church because we've been hurt by church, We've been let down by leaders that we kind of look at kind of the cultural landscape of the church and it can oftentimes just kind of look like a joke. Jesus, I pray that as we go through Acts that you would help us to see the real thing, the original thing, and that might captivate our hearts, excite us for what you have called us to. Jesus, we trust you. We trust how you're working in your church. Because of Christ we pray. Amen.